service. Badlands listeners, are you here? Are you with me? Are you too tired to go to bed? Too riled up to stay home? I know I am. This is another podcast that comes after the podcast. Welcome to Badlands, the rap party. Welcome to the Badlands bonus episode. Another thing we like to call the rap party. Just like that other show, this is a show that comes after the show. A voyage from one episode of Badlands to the other, the back lot breakdown of sorts. On this bonus episode, we're talking about Humphrey Bogart, iconic Hollywood bad guys, and 1988's Crossing Delancey. Plus, my other recommendations in your movie-focused voicemails, texts, DMs, and more. Badlands listeners, let's get into it. All right, greetings everybody and welcome to the rap party. Let's dive right into Humphrey Bogart. In this week's episode of Badlands, we focus on a true collision of art and true crime. The art of Humphrey Bogart, one of the greatest actors of the 20th century, an actor who defined an era, who defined a style. Bogart was beyond cool, a one of a kind tough guy. He was quote unquote tough without a gun. That's what Raymond Chandler, the famous, well, one of my favorite authors anyways, said about Bogart. Raymond Chandler was also the crime novelist whose books uh, included The Big Sleep, which was adapted into an amazing film in which Bogart played Chandler's iconic private eye, Philip Marlowe. The Big Sleep, one of the greatest noirs ever made. It's got Bogie. It's got Bogie's wife, Lauren Bacall. Little thing that I learned about this movie over the weekend was that on the movie prior to The Big Sleep, with Bogart and Bacall, that's where their romance started. And then they made The Big Sleep and they finished it. And then the news of their romance broke uh, while the movie was finished, but it was not released. Uh, the tabloids or whatever, the Hollywood press at that time, they weren't exactly tabloids, but they were all up in arms about Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. And as we've come to know in our modern society, nothing's really changed. When you have two really charismatic and or good-looking uh, leading men and women who are actually sleeping together in real life, it creates interest. So Lauren Bacall's role, her character, her character's role in The Big Sleep that had not yet been released, even though it was finished, it wasn't a big role. But the studio went to Howard Hawks, the uh, director of The Big Sleep, and said, hey, you got to go and redo this. We need more Bacall. So he did. He went back into the edit room, and I think he actually filmed some more scenes with Lauren Bacall. They bolstered her role somewhat, and they made it a bigger part of the movie. And it worked. The movie went gangbusters. Uh, people flocked to see Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. But they're a big part. Obviously, their on-screen chemistry is a big part of this film. But this film is just 
on its own, even if they didn't do that, I think this film still would have been one of the greatest film noirs ever made. Like I said, it's got Humphrey Bogart. It's got Lauren Bacall. It's got a screenplay written by William Faulkner <laughs> based on a book by Raymond Chandler. Okay, it's incredible. But I'm not here to talk about The Big Sleep, despite all that I just said about The Big Sleep. At least not right at this moment. I want to get into a different Bogart movie, a 1951 movie called The Enforcer. And this is where art and true crime actually collide. The Enforcer is based on the takedown of a notorious kill squad called Murder Incorporated. You may have heard of this very famous Murder, Inc. In the 1940s, Murder, Inc. Uh, protected the interest of what was known as the Commission, which was a collective of American gangsters who banded together to run the American underworld like a legit business. I'm talking murder for hire, murder for business, murder for profit. The thugs of Murder, Inc. shot, stabbed, and strangled upwards of a thousand snitches who dared rat or turn on the mob. But that same mob, that same collective of cold-blooded gangsters, never for a second thought that their chief executive executor, that's a title I just made up, never thought that that dude... The guy in charge of Murder, Inc. would turn rat. The true story of the downfall of Murder, Inc. was later laid out for all to see on the big screen with our guy here, Humphrey Bogart, playing the role of the lead prosecutor. Audiences loved watching Bogart take down the bad guys, whether it was in The Enforcer or whether it was in The Big Sleep. And this was like the opposite of a heel turn for Bogart. He began his career playing bad guys, playing gangsters, playing tough guys. But as his popularity rose, Bogart pivoted to everyone's favorite good guy, but a tough good guy nonetheless, which got me thinking, we're talking good guys and bad guys. When I first saw Goodfellas as a kid, I was really struck by that line about Jimmy Conway, De Niro's character, the line that says, Jimmy was the type of guy who rooted for the bad guys in movies. And since we're talking, like I said, about good guys and bad guys, which bad guy in the movies do you root for? Or at least do you picture when you hear this line, okay? Jimmy was the type of guy who rooted for the bad guys in movies. Who was the most iconic bad guy to you guys? And who was the most iconic bad guy in film history? Is it Mr. A.G. Geiger from The Big Sleep we're talking about? Is it Heath Ledger's Joker from The Dark Knight? Is it Darth Vader? What about De Niro's Jimmy Conway from Goodfellas? What about De Niro's taxi driver nemesis, Harvey Keitel's Sport? Hannibal Lecter, Michael Myers, Gary Busey from Lethal Weapon? Now that I mention it, there are so many amazing bad guys. A couple random ones. A dude from 48 Hours who played uh, Gaines. He scared the shit out of me as a little kid. You know who else scared me since we're on this? Uh, Method Man's character in Copland. One scene, the guy's horrifying. Tom Berenger in Platoon. Scary motherfucker. Just an asshole. Uh, so some really good ones. Let me know. 617-906-6638. Who are your favorite bad guys? I know I mentioned Michael Myers, but let's steer clear of the horror characters. Don't call in with Freddy Krueger and, and Jason Voorhees. Let's just put that aside for this question. We'll just straight up bad guys, okay? We'll get more fully into the horror stuff next month for Halloween. But for right now, straight up bad dudes, antagonists. Which bad guys do you root for in the movies? Or which bad guys do you love so much you're almost rooting for them? 617 906 
1-800-636-6638. Call me and leave your answer via voicemail or send me a text. Speaking of, let's get into some voicemails right now. In our continuous Badlands quest to probe what we love about movies, we asked the question, who were the most badass women from Hollywood history? Along with another question, what are the great roles by actors portraying other actors? And we received this awesome voicemail from the 817. Yo, Jake, this is Cam from the 817. I'm a little scatterbrained, so I'll try to get everything out. Uh, favorite female badass would be Gina Davis in A League of Their Own and A Long Kiss Goodnight. Um, actor playing an actor just because I think it's funny. Nicolas Cage as himself in Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent or whatever it's called. Uh, I am a musician and a delivery boy. But... Uh, yeah, I've been listening to all your stuff. You're an integral part of mine and my wife's household and conversations. We talk to you, talk about you like a friend that doesn't show up to our stuff. Anytime we bring up a fun fact, we said, you know, well, Jake says, but, uh, yeah, shameless self-promotion. Um, like I said, musician, I'm in a band called Cutthroat Conspiracy from DFW. We've uh, gone up to your neck of the woods and played at Toad's Place a couple of times. Uh, be weird to hear my own voice, but thanks for listening. Gina Davis, great answer and great movie that I need to show my kids. I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, love the Nick Cage answer as well. And I'm especially appreciative of this one because I've never seen The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent and I'm thankful to be reminded of it. So thank you, Cam. All right, the 303 chimed in with more on uh, great badass female leads as well as an answer to the question of who the greatest comedic actor of the 1980s is. Jake, my dude, I love your show. You absolutely crush it in every way. I am proud of your efforts. Not to give you too much of that uh, complimentary cheese, but uh, to bring up the subject of Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, what a year she's had, right? And to think she's come a long way, you know, from Scareflex to what she's achieved in her latest efforts. But I always go back to the movie Dominic and Eugene with Ray Liotta, and Tom Holt, it was kind of a sleeper that year. And I don't know, I mean, revisiting it, I'm not sure how it'll stand today, but I've always enjoyed that film. Dave Strafarian crushed it. And you also mentioned who were the greatest of the 80s, and John Candy, of course, is King, Chevy and Bill, of course. But I think of Dan Aykroyd. I got to meet him recently. He is a beautiful man insightful, thoughtful, caring dude. And his work speaks for itself and everything he's done since. So maybe do an episode on Dan, huh? He deserves it. Either way, thank you so much, Jake. You're the best. Take care, babe. 303, the unscientific results, I think, on this one are in. And Jamie Lee Curtis may have this one in the bag. Uh, I hear you on Dan Aykroyd. Love him. Love, love, love. But Eddie Murphy is the only acceptable answer to this question. All right. April from the 832 on Great Escape Movies. Hey, Jake. This is April from the 832. I'm calling for the escape subject, escape the movie. My favorite one is uh, Sally Field and Not Without My Daughter. Loved it. It's a true story. And it totally freaked me out as a child. And I still get kind of chills whenever it happens. You know, it happens every day, apparently. Anyway, love the show. Long time listener. Keep up the good work. 
I've never seen this movie before, but this might be a double answer. Sally Field doesn't strike me as a badass, but maybe she answers both. Um, <laughs> I don't know. All right, final question of great modern westerns. Uh, we have this voicemail from the 214. Hey, Jake, this is Marin from the 214 in Texas. Um, westerns, modern westerns. Um, everybody loves Tombstone. I love that one, too. But also um, among my favorites are The Revenant, um, Unforgiven, uh, The Hot or Hostels, whether it's written Django Unchained. Um, those are the few that come to mind as modern. Um, also, kind of, I don't remember who did it, but it's The Hateful Eight. It came out, I believe, after the remake of um, The Magnificent Seven, the modern Magnificent Seven. So I think it came out after that. But um, all these are great. If you haven't seen them, check them out and let me know what you think. Keep up the good work, man. Love the podcast. Love your style. Thanks. Bye. Okay, great, great, great answers, Marin. Um, yes, the Tarantino Westerns, how could we forget? Of those two, though, Django, I believe, is far superior to The Hateful Eight. I didn't love The Hateful Eight when I first saw it opening weekend in Somerville Theater in Davis Square. I actually thought it was too violent, <laughs> if you can believe that. But the more I watch it, the more I, I grow to love this film. I really love Walton Goggins in, in The Hateful Eight, uh, or in Hateful Eight, excuse me. And I hope, I, you know, I know nothing about Tarantino's next movie. I know very little about it, I should say. I know a little about it but just very little. And I hope Goggins is in it. I don't know that he is. I love, and here's why, because I love hearing Tarantino's words flow through Walton Goggins. He's just one of those actors that has this unique way with Tarantino's dialogue, similar to the way uh, Samuel Jackson does. And of course, similar to the way Samuel Jackson does. So uh, yeah, just thanks for reminding me of this film. I'm going to rewatch it and uh, maybe I will appreciate it even more. Okay. And of course you mentioned the Revenant. Great, great film. I always forget about this movie. I forget about it all the time and I loved it when it came out. Um, I know a lot of people don't love this movie, but I do for the bear scene alone. It's just incredible. Unforgiven, of course, is an all timer. I've never seen Hostiles, but I will check it out. Thanks for these Awesome recommendations on modern westerns. Really appreciate it. Guys, 617-906-6638. Hit me up with your answer to the question. Who are your favorite bad guys from the movies? And uh, you might hear your answer responded to right here in the Rap Party bonus episode. Or perhaps, perhaps I'll just call you back. Who knows? Maybe send you a text. I'm not sure. All right, 617-906-6638. You can text me as well. Voicemail. Speaking of texts, let's get into them right here. All right, this text is from the 201, says, actually, you hear that? So this is a different text. Uh, let me shut that off. Hey, Jake, this is uh, Rob from New Jersey, and I absolutely love the show. I thought I knew everything about my favorite artists. Are you, and you have proven me wrong. One correction, though, from the most recent rap party. De Niro and Scorsese worked together for the first time I mean, Mean Streets, not Taxi Driver. Just wanted to throw that out there, brother. Keep up the good work. I don't think I... Did I say the first... If I said the first time they worked together was uh, was in Taxi Driver, that was just a brain fart. Not even a brain fart. I just misspoke because I obviously know about Mean Streets. And uh, yeah. All right. Thanks. Appreciate the text, though. If I misspoke, I'm sorry, man. Let's keep going here. 
What else we got? From the 302. Yo, watch The Escapist. It's streaming on Tubi and AMC. It's so good. Also, my name is Sarah. And you can know that. We're homies now. We're all homies, but not in a twisted Jody Foster, John Hinckley way. Rockerola. <laughs> Love that, Sarah. Thanks for the recommendation. I will check out The Escapist. That sounds intriguing. All right, the 251 writes in also on Escape Films. Uh, hey, Escape Film? Question mark. Shawshank Redemption has to be up there. Erica. Yeah, I would say you're definitely right, Erica. The 916 text in, hey, Jake, Sarah from the 916. You just did the episode on Johnny Depp, so I have to say his portrayals of Hunter S. Thompson and Ed Wood definitely deserve recognition. Also want to note that I didn't enjoy Austin Butler as Elvis. Thanks for another great show. Ah, curious why you didn't like Austin Butler. I liked him. And of Johnny Depp's Ed Wood and Hunter S. Thompson portrayals, I think Ed Wood I prefer over Hunter S. Thompson, but that's just me. Dear Jake, this one is from the uh, 302, by the way. Dear Jake, I'm Lisa in the 302 area. Best comedian of the 1980s was Robin Williams, not Bill Murray. He was hilarious on Mork and Mindy, World According to Garp. Comedy specials were great. Bill was funny, but not a genius like Robin. I listen to Badlands and Disgraceland podcasts weekly. Please discuss more about Brian Jones, Kirk Cobain, Michael Jackson, Brittany Murphy, Keith Moon, Scott Weiland, Cass Elliott, Tina Turner, Aretha Franklin, Les McCune, Freddie Mercury. May they rest in peace. Keep up the good work. Uh, 302, I'm sure you know we have Disgraceland episodes uh, just while we're on the topic on Kirk Cobain and Brian Jones and uh, Keith Moon and Cass Elliott and Tina Turner. And uh, yeah, we're working on a well, bunch of those that you mentioned. And for Badlands, we have a Brittany Murphy episode. So get in there if you don't know that, but you probably do. And I think you're just asking me to talk about it more, which maybe I will be doing at some point. And as for Robin Williams over Bill Murray, I got to say, I agree with you. I think Robin Williams was a genius. Bill Murray's a genius, but a different kind. Robin Williams is just like this complete force in nature. Totally different animal. All right. You want to text me on Anything we've been talking about, 617-906-6638. You can leave a voicemail as well. Yeah, what actor or actress do you think is your favorite bad guy? Favorite bad guys. Which bad guy are you rooting for in the movies? I want to know. I'm going to take a quick break. Back in a flash. All right, let's talk about the music connection for this week's episode subject, Humphrey Bogart. If I say the Rat Pack to you, your mind probably immediately goes to Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., singers primarily, guys in Vegas with nice suits and stiff drinks in the whole nine. And for good reason, because it was under Sinatra's leadership in the late 1950s and the 1960s that the Rat Pack became popular. But when the Rat Pack was first started in the early 50s, it began more as a social club than anything else. Actors and singers all hanging out together. Sinatra, of course, was pack master, but Humphrey Bogart and his wife, Lauren Bacall, were founding members 
of the Rat Pack. Bogart was the rat in charge of public relations, and Bacall was den mother. How formal these titles were, I'm thinking not at all. Uh, it was more about having a good time than anything else, and in fact, it was a four-day bender in Vegas that earned them all this name. After days and days of getting hammered, Bogart and Sinatra earned themselves one of the gnarliest hangovers in history, which prompted Lauren Bacall to say, you look like a goddamn Rat Pack, and it stuck. So there you go. Bogart, to my knowledge, not really much of a musician himself, but a guy who enjoyed the company of musicians, great musicians, and by all accounts, everyone enjoyed hanging out with Bogart as well. All right? So there you go. And speaking of the Rat Pack, the number one movie from this episode is At War with Army, which was the top film on February 24th, 1951. This is interesting because At War, excuse me, did I say At War with Army? At War with the Army is a musical comedy starring Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, famous comedy duo Dean Martin, Martin Lewis, of course, car- carrying members of the Rat Pack. Jerry Lewis, you know, kind of ancillary. Him and Dino had a falling out, but, you know, he was in the mix. This is uh, Martin and Lewis's third film together. Uh, They did like something like 17 movies. The reason we picked this date and this movie for our episode, our full episode on Bogart, is because it was the day that The Enforcer, starring Humphrey Bogart, the film we talked about uh, earlier, it's the day that that was released. The Enforcer is not one of Bogart's better known films, so it's pretty solid. Let's get into some of his bigger roles, okay? High Sierra and The Maltese Falcon, both in 1941. Casablanca, 1942, incredible movie. To Have and Have Not, 1944. The Big Sleep, 1946. The Treasure of Sierra Madre and Key Largo, both in 1948. In a Lonely Place, 1950. The African Queen, 1951. Bogart won Best Actor for that. Beat the Devil, great title, 1953. Sabrina and the Kane Mutiny, one of my favorite Bogart performances from 1954. We're No Angels, 1955. I haven't seen that, and I'm wondering now if the De Niro Sean Penn thing is a remake of Bogart's We're No Angels. If anyone knows, call in and let me know. 617-906-6638. And the Heart of They Fall, uh, Heart of They Fall was in 1956. This is his last film before his death in 1957. Okay, so. These are just some of the more notable Bogart picks here. He worked in a time when movies, I'm sure you guys know this, was were made super fast. He made, uh, I think, somewhere around 75 films in his lifetime. That's incredible. What's your favorite Bogart film? Casablanca, The African Queen, The Big Sleep, Kane Mutiny. Something else I didn't mention here. Let me know, all right? I want to know. So that is The Scoop on Humphrey Bogart, all right? You can hit me up, 617-906-6638. Texts and voicemails. I'm gonna be back in a flash with some recommendations. This is the other recommendations part, the part of the other show where we recommend the movies and television content, the recommendations part, the part where we discuss the movies and television that we are recommending. This is the recommendations part here in the Badlands Rap Party bonus episode. So last week I said I'd watch American Boy, the documentary from Martin Scorsese and report back to you guys. And I did not do my homework I apologize. It's been a wild week. Had a lot going on outside of work that I didn't expect to have to deal with, but I did. Everything's good. Not complaining. If I wanted to complain, though, I'd complain about HBO Max and why they make it so fucking hard to watch shit on their app. Anyways, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to complain. 
I'm just, it's not in my nature to do so. Uh, I'm going to be positive, okay? I watched some great movies over the weekend. I rewatched The Big Sleep with Bogart in anticipation of this episode. I love the movie, as you know. And one thing, I just want to, we talked about this movie already. I just want to hit on one thing from this movie that we haven't discussed. We didn't discuss it in this episode, nor did we discuss it in the full episode. And that is the stone cold sexual charisma that Humphrey Bogart has in this film. And you would not expect that of Humphrey Bogart. I didn't expect it. But in scene after scene after scene with different women, the electricity on screen is just, it's almost tangible. <laughs> you can almost see sparks flying. And it's not just with Lauren Bacall. And I would argue that with Lauren Bacall, it's not even the strongest. He has these roles with the, uh, the sorry, these scenes with these other actresses where they're just melting. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, Bogart's not really a looker. I mean, he's an interesting guy, interesting guy to look at, but he's not like, it's not like Sinatra we're talking about, or even Dean Martin, who we mentioned before. Uh, so I was, I was shocked by that. It's, it's another reason to watch this movie. This movie's great, great. I highly recommend it for a date night or something like that. Or just, you know, you can have a lonely guy night with it as well. You can pour yourself a nice bottle of something dark and and just get into the noir of it all. Okay, speaking of romance, though, I watched an incredible indie movie from 1988 uh, with Amy Irving called Crossing the Lancy. If you don't know Amy Irving, trust me, you know Amy Irving. You've seen her in a bunch of stuff before. This is a little romance film where, not, not the type of film I would like uh, see the the description of in the cable guide and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm watching that because on paper, it's not something that I'm typically into, but it was just on and it was on early and I fell into it and I watched most of it. So Amy Irving's character, young female adult in New York city thrust into the search for her husband by her Jewish bubby story aside, the way New York city looks in this film is fucking incredible, super authentic, compelling, which is to say trashy and exciting. It's 1988. Everything about this movie works for me. As I said, the story, the authenticity, the acting, but also without knowing anything about the director or the screenwriter or the producer, I could tell when I was watching it that it was an incredibly personal film. And therefore, it like completely draws you in. I highly recommend this. It's called Crossing Delancey. Check it out. Also watched an early 50s film with Kurt Russell called The Bad and the Beautiful. Strangely inside insightful film for the time anyways, early 50s, I think it's 1953, strangely insightful for its look into the Hollywood machine and how movies got made and the relationships between screenwriters and directors and producers. Just really loved it. Uh, Lana Turner's in it as well, alongside Kurt Russell. So there's that. Also Walter Pigeon. By the way, is Walter Pigeon Rebecca Pigeon's dad? I've always wondered. I could look it up. But I like the few remaining mysteries we have left in this world. 617-906-6638. If you know the answer to that question or any question, let me know and let me know what you're watching. Let me know what movies you're into. Let me know if you're watching any good TV these days. I'm, ex I'm excited to check out uh, The Escapist, which someone mem mentioned earlier in a text, I believe, or a voicemail. Yeah, you know how to get in touch with me with your movie recs, your TV recs, and uh, let me know. You can also hit me up at Pod on the socials, or you can email me disgracelandpod at gmail.com. I'm going to take a quick break. Be back in a flash.
All right, let's recap, shall we? Number one, the obvious, the Humphrey Bogart episode of Badlands is available in your feed right now. Go check that out. Number two, next week in Badlands, a brand new episode on Brandon Lee. Number three, over in the Disgraceland feed, our serialized season on Wu-Tang Clan continues with all new episodes on Method Man and Ghostface Killer. Those are available for you right now. Number four, call me, 617-906-6638. We're going to keep this Badlands movie conversation going. Number five, I got to split. I got other podcasts to record and I have to return some videotapes. So right now, a second dose of bliss for yours truly in honor of this week's Badlands episode, me reading the script from the big sleep. Fade in. Exterior. Sternwood Place. Establishing scene. It is a millionaire's house. Big, sprawling, California style, with clipped lawns and gardens on a hill above the now abandoned oil field, which was the family's wealth. A small coupe drives up to the door and stops, and Philip Marlowe gets out. We just have time to establish him as he approaches the door. A husky, self-confident man, well-dressed but not flashy. Insert, a brass door plate knocker with a bell beneath lettered Sternwood. Exterior, front door, close shot, Marlowe. As Norris opens the door, Norris is thin, silver-haired, with a gentle, intelligent face. Norris, holding the door. Good morning, sir. I'm Philip Marlowe, General Sternwood, Norris opens the door, steps aside. Yes, Mr. Marlowe, will you come in? Marlowe, entering. Thanks. Interior. Quit talking and start mixing. Cut it!